Would you please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad, as well as our friends at First Baptist Church at Arco, Idaho, and also our friends at Purpose Church in Kalispell, Montana. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study of God's Word. We're continuing our study in the book of Judges, and I am so grateful to Pastor Eric. Didn't he do an outstanding job last Sunday? I'm telling you, that guy... Um, uh, and, and he, Eric, is, is, is very similar to me, and, and we like to prepare ahead of time on things. So to ask him to prepare a message from scratch, you know, I said to him, look, you can just pick something that you speak at conferences and camps because he speaks all over the place. And he says, no, Glenn, I want to stay in the book of Judges, so I'll come up with something from scratch uh, from, from Gideon. And so we did Gideon last Sunday. We're doing um, uh, Deborah and Barak uh, this Sunday, and then we'll come back to part two of Gideon next Sunday because there's so much material on Gideon that we need to spend another Sunday on. And he just did that completely from scratch. And I've just heard from so many people all over the place just telling me what an absolutely outstanding job uh, that he did. You know, he probably got the highest compliment I can imagine. Anybody would get my son-in-law and my daughter's family. They were down sick in Washington, D.C., and he said to me, my son-in-law said, hey, Dad, you know, if I'm in the other room and just listening to the broadcast rather than watching it, I would think it was you speaking instead of Eric. That's the highest compliment Eric could have ever got. I'm sure that I told him that. I'm sure that just absolutely makes his day. So now we're going to go back to Deborah and, and Barak. And we're going to start with chapter 4, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud was dead. Remember Ehud? We studied him a couple of weeks ago, the left-handed warrior. Again, the Israelites did that. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hatzor. Now, this was about eight and a half miles north of the Sea of Galilee. It was the most prominent fort or citadel for the Canaanites. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagayim. Now, remember, when you see God's judgment fall on Sisera and on the Canaanites, think the Canaanites were worse than the Nazis. And when you see Sisera, think Adolf Hitler. And when you see Hatzor, think uh, Berlin. Okay, so that's what you should think when you see God's judgment fall on them through the Israelite army, which is kind of like the Allied army uh, against the Nazis in World War II. Uh, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron. Remember we said a few weeks ago, these are like the tanks of their day. Nobody had them. So they gave him a clear technological military advantage and had cruelly oppressed the, the Israelites for 20 years. Let's not just pass over that. Worse than the Nazis, cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They finally cried to the Lord, uh, cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah. Palm of Deborah, this was about seven miles north of Jerusalem. And I said earlier when we started the series, when you think judges, don't think judicial, all right, like a Supreme Court justice, even though that was part of their job, their main job was to be a political or military leader. But this is the exception to that. Uh, Deborah actually held court. She was actually a judge. We have Judge Judy. They had Judge Deborah. And she held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you to go. Take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun 
and lead them up to Mount Tabor. Now, Mount Tabor uh, was perfectly suited to gather their army troops because it was hilly country and it was forested. And so that would not be a good place for the chariots to get to. And so under the cover of the forest and of the slopes, they were able to assemble there without fear of the 900 chariots descending on them there at Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops, to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Now, uh, here we have the theme of the reluctant warrior, um, Barak, as we're going to see in, in just a moment, that uh, Deborah has to challenge him in order to do this. But before we get there, let's set the scene. And here's where Southern Californians have, a, have an advantage in understanding the Bible. If you've ever been to Israel, you're always amazed that the climate and terrain of Israel is very similar to Southern California. And so we Southern Californians can envision Israel easier than most other people can because it's very, very similar. For example, when we think of Deborah holding court under a palm tree, we all can envision that, can't we? Deborah's name in the Hebrew language literally means a honeybee. But here's a way we can particularly relate. The Kishon River was a dry riverbed. How many Southern Californians can identify with a dry riverbed? I mean, when I came here from the East Coast, they said the Los Angeles River, and I said, what is the Los Angeles River? Realized basically it was a storm drain that was just empty uh, most of the year. And so why that's important to note is that it would be a dry riverbed is perfect for 900 chariots to go down. That's perfect. And if it's not the rainy season, which it was not, Cicero would have felt this is a safe time of year because it's dry. But if there should be an unexpected flash flood, can we identify with that as Southern Californians? If there's an unexpected flash flood, it would make that riverbed into an absolute disaster for chariots. So do you see how this thing is setting up now? Okay, now let's go to verse 8. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now this is the reluctant warrior theme that we talked about uh, last Sunday with Pastor Eric. Did such a great job on that. Where uh, Gideon, uh, God had to convince him like what, five different times um, and, and by the way, I've just heard so many people talk about that sermon. Finally got a chance to hear it last Sunday. If you get a chance to hear it, listen to it online. It was just outstanding. And so many people have contacted me about just how outstanding it was. And he talked about the reluctant hero, the reluctant warrior Gideon. Well, that continues here. He said, if you don't go with me, I won't go. Verse 9. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, that is because of your hesitancy, the honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. Now, he thinks she's talking about her, Deborah, and he was to a certain point, but she was also prophetically talking about another woman that we're going to meet in a few minutes. So Deborah went with Barak uh, to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Uh, Deborah also went up with him. Now, Heber the Kenite, Heber the Kenite, uh, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zanaim near Kadesh. Now, this is kind of a random thing. Okay, 
what, what's, what's going on there. Somebody has a dispute. A couple of neighbors can't get along. Somebody's dog barks too much or uh, somebody else does something obnoxious, allows their trees to grow over and their limbs over on the other property line or I don't know what it was, but they have this random disagreement and so they pitch their tents out in the middle of the boonies nowhere. Seems like a random detail. It's going to matter in just a minute. Okay. Now, we have the reluctant rescuer, just like we had Gideon last week. But here's the good news. God still works through reluctant rescuers. Even though initially we may lack faith, God hangs in there with us. And eventually he will still work through us. Men, let me ask you something. How many of you men have had a godly woman challenge you to do the right thing? And you did the right thing. My, both of my hands are up. Both of my hands are up. Yeah, absolutely. We have godly women that challenge us to do the right thing. And sometimes we just do the right thing because a godly woman has challenged us to do it. Just like Deborah did here with Barak. And here's the good news. Do you know that if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, which is called the, the Hall of Fame of Faith, the Hall of Fame of Faith, Barak's name is listed in that. Even though he was initially reluctant, because he listened to a godly woman who challenged him, he did the right thing, and he ends up in the hall of fame of faith. Verse 12, when they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tamor, Sisera summoned from Harasheth Hagiam to the Kishon River all of his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, go. This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. Let's hold it there for just a second. He goes down Mount Tabor. Let's set the scene. They weren't able to see the troop movements because of the forest there. So there's 10,000 men are hidden among the trees of Mount Tabor. When the signal is given... They run downhill, which makes them go faster, which makes them go stronger. They're more rested when they get to the bottom because they're running downhill. So all of a sudden, they come up on the dry riverbed with their 900 chariots. All of a sudden, 10,000 men explode out of the tree line, running downhill uh, against them. And, and God is going to throw in a curveball here uh, as well. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Okay, now, why would you do that? Why would you leave a tank and start running on foot? Well, here's the answer to that. There are two chapters that basically tell the same story. So Judges chapter 4 basically tells the story in prose, that is, in, in normal language like we've just been reading. But then the story is repeated in chapter 5 with a poetic version. So the prose version in chapter 4, the poetic version uh, in chapter 5 tells it in poetry, and it adds some details that weren't given in chapter 4. And one of those details in chapter 5, verse 21, is that God sent a flash flood out of season. That's what happens, we find out in chapter 5, verse 21. The flash flood comes all of a sudden, the advantage switches from those in the chariots to those that are not in the chariots, and God uses that for them to win the battle. Now, God worked through natural means, the army of Israel, but also supernatural means. Or, or maybe we shouldn't call it supernatural means, but supernatural timing. 
Have you ever had something in your life, and it wasn't necessarily called supernatural? I mean, a, a rainstorm is still unusual in the dry season, but how many were completely freaked out with the lightning storm a couple of weeks ago? That didn't fit, right? And yet it, we wouldn't call that miraculous, but you see the timing of it. How many of you have ever had something in your life, God does a miracle, and it's not miraculous in and of itself, you wouldn't call it a miracle, but the timing is miraculous. How many of you would say that's happened to you? Absolutely. And here's what happens, a surprise rainstorm. Now, let me give you a history geek alert. This is just for the history geeks. Throw something in there, but you're going to love this, you history geeks. Almost the identical same thing happened in another battle that happened over 3,000 years later in 1799 when Napoleon defeated the Turkish army at the Battle of Mount Tabor. I have to admit, I love history. How many of you never, ever didn't know that Napoleon fought the Turkish army in Israel? I, you know, I, I never heard of such a thing. But at this exact same place, and, and with the whole water problems and the flash flood and all the river problems as well, almost the exact same thing. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Just uh, so happy that was for the history geeks. Now, we've met Pastor Lisa, also known as Deborah. Now we meet Pastor Tomiko, also known as JL, who is an anti-human trafficking warrior. Here, here's a, here's a pictures of some anti-human trafficking warriors, okay? Here's Pastor Tomiko. Here's Liam Neeson. You say, why is JL an anti-human trafficking warrior? Well, hang with me till the end of the message. The very end of the message, I'm going to share why JL is an anti-human trafficking warrior as well. And by the way, this is like our Mount Rushmore of anti-human trafficking warriors. How many people were on Mount Rushmore? How many faces? Four. There's room for one more, Pastor Tamika, all right? Room for one more, and that could be you. You could join um, Everyone Free. That's your current name, right? Okay, I came up with that. Everyone Free. You can be that. That can be your fourth one right there next to Liam Neeson. As a matter of fact, some of us wonder if, if Pastor Tamika does what Liam Neeson does after hours here, you know. Just don't even want to know what she's up to here. And we're going to see that with JL in and, and, and just a moment as well. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hagiam, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Remember? Random part of the story. Uh, he's out in the middle of the boonies. What's he doing out there? Well, God's causing a, a coincidence, a divine providential coincidence to happen because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. But Jael said, I didn't sign up for no alliance. Uh, ladies, how many of your husbands have ever signed something that you didn't agree with? Yeah, anybody? Well, you don't have to hold your hands up on that. Kimberly and I just had that happen, but I go astray here. Um, I won't bring our marriage challenges into it, but uh, you know, you, 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 your husband signed something that she didn't agree with, and so she didn't sign no alliance. Verse 18, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Now, this milk would have been like liquid yogurt, which is still popular in the Middle East. And a Bible commentator said a word that I'd never heard before. So I gave something to the history geeks. Now we're going to give something for the English geeks. Okay, you ready for that? 
um, they said that this liquid yogurt would have been so porific. S-O-P-O-R-I-F-I-C. Can anybody tell me what that means? Yes! Raise your hand if you just said that. Do not do crossword puzzles with this person right here. Okay. Do not mess with them in jeopardy. Do not mess with them um, on any kind of word games. That is awesome. I'd never heard that word before. So perfect. It means that it'll make you sleepy, and it made the big bad military general sleepy under his blankie that uh, she had put over him. <laughs> Verse 20. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground. I don't know why he added this, but, and he died. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious, okay? And he died. Then what's not in the Bible, but in the ancient, ancient Hebrew, it says, and then she walked outside and said, nailed it. <laughs> That's actually not in the Bible, but I just thought I'd throw that one in there. Okay. All right, verse 22. Just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. Now, Deborah started it, and Jael ended it, and Barak was challenged to do the right thing in between the two. Men and women speaking into each other's lives in a healthy way. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Men and women challenging each other in Christ. Men and women speaking into each other's lives. Men and women challenging each other to live for Christ more fervently. What, what a healthy thing. Five things we can learn from this story. Number one, it is a beautiful thing when men and women work together in unity. Or not just men and women. When any two groups that are different from each other, when any two people that are different from each other work together in unity, that is a beautiful thing. Chapter 5, verse 1. On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this song. This is one of the oldest songs in all of human history. It's one of the oldest Hebrew poems ever written. And to my thinking, or to my knowledge, it's the only duet ever recorded in, in the Bible. And what a beautiful thing it is when men and women sing duets. What a beautiful thing when Jewish people and non-Jewish people, Gentiles and Jews, sing duets. What a wonderful thing when people from different socioeconomic backgrounds or racial or ethnic backgrounds sing duets. What a beautiful thing it is. Galatians 3, verse 26 through 28, Paul writes, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you see why God wanted me to preach this this Sunday rather than last Sunday? You see, it's one of those divine 
coincidences, providential. They're not coincidences, they're divine setups where God wanted us to talk about this today and the day after a Jewish synagogue is, is shot, shot, shot up by somebody filled with hatred. Ephesians 2, verse 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. Now in context, Paul is talking about Jews and Gentiles, Jews and non-Jews. But really he can talk about any two groups, any two people that on the outside are different but share Christ and thus are unified is a picture of what God wants to do in and through us. He's made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, verse 16. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Uh, here was Jesus' prayer in John 17, verse 23. Do you know that you're mentioned in the Bible? You're, you're talked about in the Bible. Because part of the prayer in John 17, Jesus prays for different categories of people. And the last category that he prays for are people that will come to Christ through the preaching of the gospel, through the disciples. That's you and me. 2,000 years later here in Southern California, here's what he prays for us. So that they may be brought to complete unity. And when we are brought to unity, when people come together that ordinarily wouldn't come together, but they come together because of Jesus, then the world will know that you sent me. Jesus said, do you know how you're going to prove to the world that I'm the real deal, that I am who I claim to be, the Son of God? You do it by showing unity where it is unexpected that there would be unity there. Uh, several of our uh, pastors from here at, at Purpose Church were asked to speak uh, last week at what was called the Unite Conference. And it was held at the Second Baptist Church in Santa Ana, which is the oldest African-American church in Orange County. And it was a conference where the theme was reconciliation and unity between Christians of all different backgrounds. Um, and they asked uh, several of us pastors to speak at it. But in addition to that, they asked Pastor Jarrett and our praise team, the praise team that you have here at the 945 service, they asked Pastor Jarrett and our praise team to lead the times of worship for this conference. Now, they were absolutely amazing. I just want to brag on them. All my pastor friends were coming up to me and saying, that's your, that's your worship team? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. I don't know a thing about music, but yeah, they're, they're I, you know. And, and they were just blown away. They said they are absolutely amazing. You know, sometimes a prophet's without honor in, in his own house. And sometimes we just take for granted the spectacular music. And they were just blown away. But there was another reason why our praise team was asked to lead the worship at this conference. And here it is. Because our praise team on many Sundays looks like heaven is going to look. And it was especially true at this conference. I don't know what happened. I don't know if Pastor Jarrett planned it to be this way or it just happened that the people that could show up uh, and could get off from work that particular day to help lead in this conference, it just, it was the most beautiful thing I think I've ever seen. 
It was this perfect balance of men and women, this beautiful balanced blend of African-American, Hispanic, Asian-American, Caucasian, a variety of different ages. And to top it all off, they had a female drummer, two pregnant women, and Pastor Maluki from Kenya. Now, how's that for unity in spite of different backgrounds, you know? It was just a beautiful thing. And Jesus said that when people see that, they will conclude that God sent him into the world, and he is who he claimed to be, the Son of God, because only he could make that happen. This happens in our family. You know, our family has been put together through birth and through um, adoption, And uh, when we started off, it seemed to make sense to people. We had two girls, Caucasian, Kimberly and I Caucasian, so we had two girls, Abby and Leah, born to us. But then we adopted older boys from an orphanage in Columbia, uh, South America, so they were Hispanic, and they were older than our girls. So people would stare at us in restaurants, and they'd see these two younger Caucasian girls and then these two older Hispanic boys, our family of, of six at that time, And so they think to themselves, oh, Kimberly's first husband must have been Hispanic. And then she had a midlife crisis and got herself a trophy husband, is what they, just just made made, made sense, you know. But but then we kind of confused people more because then we adopted Rebecca and Noah, who were younger than all four of them, and they were Hispanic. So they'd stare at us at a restaurant with two Hispanic kids, then two Caucasians, then two Hispanics, And they would just stare at us thinking, what's going on here? And that's what we want people, when they they look at our church, when the outside world looks at followers of Christ, they want to ask the question, what's going on here? And we want to answer them, Jesus is what's going on here. That's what we want to be able to answer. Number two, it's a powerful force when the leaders lead and the people willingly offer themselves. Uh, They say in this duet, verse two, when the princes in Israel, the leaders take the lead, and when the people willingly offer themselves, um, praise the Lord. Uh, Verse nine uh, goes on uh, to say, my heart is with Israel's princes, with the willing volunteers among the people, praise the Lord. Uh, We see this in the birth of the church in the New Testament as well. Paul is the name that everybody knows, most uh, common name in the Bible talked about outside of Jesus. But did you know that there are over a hundred other people listed in the New Testament mentioned that helped Paul in his ministry? Willing volunteers, willingly volunteering themselves. Less known names like Tychicus, Phoebe, Epaphras, Lydia, Epaphroditus, Dorcas, Um, what a wonderful thing when the leaders lead and the people willingly offer themselves. And then they go on to list the tribes of Israel that showed up for the battle. Some tribes showed up, some didn't show up. They start with the ones that showed up. And so in verses 13 through 15, the remnant of the nobles came down. The people of the Lord came down to me against the mighty. Some came from Ephraim. Benjamin was with the people who followed you. From Machir, captains came down. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. Verse 15, the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. Yes, Issachar was with Barak, uh, sent under his command uh, into the, the valley. Verse 18, we'll skip down to. The people of Zebulun 
risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terrace, on the terrace fields. But now he goes on to list uh, Barak and, and Deborah, go on to list the tribes that didn't show up. And point number three is that God is angry with spectators. He blesses those that are involved, and he is angry, he even uses the word curses, those that are spectators. Following Christ is not a spectator sport. Following Christ is a cause. It is a movement. It is a battle. It involves an involved and fully activated army. And so he goes on to criticize these spectators. In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. The people in Reuben are just searching their hearts. Should I go? Should I not go? Why did you stay among the sheep pens, they said. To hear the whistling of the flocks in the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. Uh, verse 17, Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves. Uh, Curse Miraz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly because they did not come to help the Lord, to help the Lord against the mighty. Now, at our church, just one of the wonderful things I love about Purpose Church is there, and people are just amazed by it. People tell me this all the time. It, we take it for granted. We have such an activated church. We have a bias towards action. Um, at our church, this is not a spectator sport. We, we have one of the highest percentage of involved people of any church uh, that, that I know. And I want to just give you random examples of getting involved and not being a spectator. Just, just random uh, examples. Here's a picture last week of uh, Pastor Jay and Pastor Tomiko and the men against human trafficking and they're, they're meeting together on the commons before they go out to stand on the corner of Holt and Gary uh, to protest against human trafficking. And all of a sudden when they're out there, all of a sudden a bunch of police cars just come into our parking lot and surround them. And here's what happened. Me stopping by tonight is just to tell you uh, we will not be successful with uh, human, fighting human trafficking without a community support and without a community group. And some communities don't have what we have, and that's you. That's right. And so I, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, I value what you're doing, um, and I consider you partners in, in our efforts, and I just thank you. And who's with me tonight um, are officers that are actually part of the Major Crimes Task Force, and these are the officers that are out there uh, when you're doing the outreach, and you're done with that, they're out there doing the enforcement and the rescuing and everything else. So that's these gentlemen. And so we recognize and they recognize just the same that uh, it takes a partnership. It takes your efforts and then it takes ours uh, to be successful. So just uh, from the bottom of my heart, I just wanted to thank you all. Isn't that awesome? Yes, tremendous. Here's another way to be involved. Um, Wednesday night is Halloween. And so we've got thousands of these cards inviting kids that we give our Halloween candy to, uh, to our church, to our regular programs, and then to Journey to Bethlehem that's on the other side, just beautiful cards, thousands of them. Uh, we get a thousand kids literally to our house because we're on the south side of Lincoln Park here in Pomona, so I have a thousand of them uh, set aside for our family. Now, if you give out invitations to the church, make sure you give out good candy, all right? None of this stuff. Don't, don't give this out right here. Okay, I don't, don't see any of that. All right? Okay. 
Uh, remember Tracy Morrow, the fitness guru, the worldwide fitness guru that uh, spoke here from our church from the 945 service. Uh, she spoke here a few um, um, uh, weeks ago. Uh, kids, memorize that face because you do not want to go to her house because that's what you'll get at her house. You come to Pastor Glenn's house for the good stuff. Other ways to be involved. Week from Tuesday, vote, vote. Citizens should vote. Followers of Christ, it's part of our duty as, as citizens to vote, not just spectate, but to be involved. There's a blood drive today. How's that for involvement? Give us a pint of your blood before you leave campus uh, here today for City of Hope. Next Sunday is the second best day of the year to invite a friend to church. Uh, you say, why is that? Well, number one is Easter, but number two is clock change day, which is the good one, not the evil one in the spring. It's the, it's the good one here in the fall which is, you know, the good one where you get an extra hour. Say to your friends, look, you got 25 hours instead of 24 hours. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? You say, Glenn, you're preaching on judges, all right? It's not the gruesome one. Next week, the second half of Gideon is really pretty tame. It's actually a perfect passage to invite a friend to uh, next Sunday. Uh, here, here's another one, um, and these are kind of random, just but the, the connection is involvement. The connection is a bias towards action. Uh, Pastor Eric has been giving these out like candy to our staff, just passing them out to everybody you can to get us to read this. It's called Insider Outsider by Brian Loritz, and it's all about how Christ followers should take the lead in racial reconciliation. And I love this one quote. He says, you can still help people to see by creating what I call little awkward moments. So when that friend or family member says something racially insensitive around the dinner table, don't just be silent. Call it out. It's not good enough to just not be racist. We must be aggressively anti-racist. Anybody want to say amen to that? You know. Our Purpose Church values are all designed, our five core values, to going beyond spectator status to active ingredients. Found people, find people. Who are you going to try to connect with Jesus during the Christmas season? Perfect chances. Invite them to journey to Bethlehem. Invite them to come celebrate Christmas. We're better together. Are you in a small group? Are you regular here in worship on Sunday morning? What steps are we taking to change because growing people change? Everyone designed to serve. Have they found a place to serve? A generous people transform the world, not just being spectators financially, but having our finances involved in changing our world for Christ. Uh, let's just skip to point five because I want to share a closing um, video clip um, when the band comes up in a couple minutes. Uh, that, and I, I know I've gone long, and, and forgive me, but I heard Pastor Eric was done on time last week. Trying to show me up is what he's trying to do, okay? But God will one day right every wrong. And I want to just show you why I say that J.L. was an anti-human trafficking warrior. Because here was the intention of Sisera. Lest you feel bad for him, here's what his goal was in verse 30. The goal in verse 30 was a woman or two for each man. They wanted to kill, come in, kill all the Israelites, and have a woman or two for each man. They were involved in human trafficking. And so that's why I say J.L. and Pastor Tomiko and Leon Neeson are all in that hall of fame of anti-human traffickers. Uh, verse 31, verse 31. So may all your enemies perish, Lord, but may all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Then the land had peace for 40 years. And you know, the wonderful thing, the hope we have in Christ is that one day 
every right, God's going to right every wrong, every injustice like what was done in Pittsburgh yesterday. Those, wrong, those, the, those wrongs will be righted. Every injustice at the hands of other people. And sometimes just the things in life that seem so unfair. Whatever it is you're going through that just seems unfair. One day, God is going to bless you. One day is God, that thing that's so unfair in life, just by being part of the human race that's so unfair, someday God is going to make that thing right. Someday God is going to bring justice.